to have Lalfie back uh, leading worship with us. I just want to thank Tanya and Daphne and Andrea uh, and Jeff uh, for stepping in and Alan uh, for stepping in uh, over the last month or so. So thank you uh, for that. But it's nice to have Lalfie back. Kim Kim will be providing backing vocals <laughs> in future weeks. Um, just before we get on uh, to this morning, just a quick update on David Workington. Uh, some of you may uh, have noticed that he's not been around recently. He uh, was in hospital. He was taken into hospital a few weeks ago uh, to Mount St. Joseph. Um, and they looked after him there for a while. And he's now back at Shannon Oaks. But he's still struggling. Uh, David, as you know, has been struggling with mental illness for a number of years. And uh, so that's really bothering him at the moment. So could you please remember him in your prayers and for those who are caring for him as well. I know that Kirsten is, is helping him with some finances and his niece is helping him with his health uh, things. And there's a few of us that are trying to do other things for him. So let's remember David. Uh, he's such a great servant of God. And uh, yeah, let's, let's remember him. Uh, well, the holidays are nearly over. Sorry. They are nearly over, and we've got to keep calm and accept that the holidays are over. Schools go back next week, and the commercials for back-to-school specials are uh, just bombarding us all over the place. Do you remember when the essential back-to-school supplies were basically just eraser, pencil, and a geometry set, which no one ever actually used. Do you remember? I, I, I've got, I used to have tons of these. <laughs> you still use them? Wow. Okay. All right. Now school essentials seem to consist of trendy clothes, laptop, cell phone, those sort of things. Anyway, we here at City View are keeping summer alive for one further week. As you know, we've been receiving postcards, and we're going to receive our last postcard uh, this morning. If you've been with us over the last month, you know that we've been receiving these postcards, not physical ones, but spiritual ones. Uh, we get to hear what God has been doing in people's lives, to hear how God has and moving in, his, in their lives, sometimes hearing of their search for God in the desert times of their lives. And it's a time when we connect with each other at a deeper level. And I hope that it's been really meaningful and fruitful uh, for us here. They've been really great. We've received four postcards so far from Daphne, from Laura, from Tanya, and last week, Andrea. And each one has given us an opportunity to hear about their struggles, their struggles with health, their struggles with plans that don't go the right way, eh, Laura? Struggle with diversity. Struggle with knowing who we really are. Each one has been heartfelt, and yet each one has recognized that uh, God's presence in that and celebrated His love and His grace and, and mercy in the midst of their struggles. So, but before we receive our last postcard, let me, by way of an introduction, 
quickly tell you a true and amusing story of an encounter I had in a seedy bar in the Italian capital of Rome when I was on holiday. It's amusing as I look back, but at the time it was actually quite disturbing. We walked into this bar. Uh, Linda and I were on our own and uh, we, we just wanted to sit down and have a drink. And we went down this little alleyway and we found this Italian bar and we walked in and it was incredibly seedy. And we walked up to the bar and this huge guy behind the bar looked at us. He turned out to be Russian. And I said, can I have a, I don't know, a beer or, or whatever it was that I ordered? And he looked at me and he said, you English? Um, yeah. You proper English? I said, well, yeah, I guess so. You drink tea? I said, you like tea? I, said, I like tea. I, I do like tea. The Queen. You know the queen? <laughs> I said, I, I know of the queen. I don't know. I'm not intimately acquainted. Your football team, no good. <laughs> I said, yeah, I know. Football team's no good. And I was starting to panic a little bit here. He was very menacing. And then he said, Monty Python? You know? You like Monty Python? I said, yeah, yeah. I like Monty Python. And then there was this pause. And there was this huge belly laugh. And he went, oh! <laughs> he slapped me on the back. He said, English, I like you. Now, he liked me, but did he know me? No. <laughs> he thought he knew me because of who he thought I was, who he thought I should be because I was English. He put an identity on me. And that brings us to our fifth and final postcard. Kristin, why don't you come and share with us a topic that's very, very dear to your heart and you're very passionate about. So. Publishable. Helium walks into a bar. The barkeep said, We don't serve your kind in here. Helium didn't react. <laughs> Only some of you got that because it's related <laughs> to your identity. <laughs> All right. Um, 
I suggested that maybe the youth might want to stay here today because I'm going to talk about who am I and how do I figure out who I am. And that is sort of in our culture generally considered to be something that is the job of the teenager apart from getting an education and becoming a nominally functional adult. Um, but it, 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 it turns out that it's something that you keep having to deal with for, like, the rest of your life. And uh, luckily, here in North America, there are plenty of companies and people that have already provided us with the answer of how you figure out who you are. Um, if you've watched a Disney film, you know what it is. It's listen to your heart. <laughs> All right. Now, if you are a Christian, you have an added power bonus on that because if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit in your heart. You have a direct conduit to what God is telling you about who you are. So listening to your heart could actually be a useful way to figure out who you are. You've got God in there. It's all good. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. <laughs> Um, so we know the answer. The problem is we don't actually know what to do to get there. It's kind of like the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. We have the answer. We don't really have the question or the process. And uh, the problem with uh, actually discerning um, if what we're hearing from our heart and from the spirit in our heart and from the people around us that we love and that we know care about us and are also listening to Jesus is that it's really hard to figure out um, what we're hearing um, and if it's really true. We have a lot of baggage in our lives, and I'm not in this particular talk talking about the I got stuff to do and I'm busy and so I'm not sitting down to listen to God baggage. And I think Trevor's already talked about that a few times, so check out our website. <laughs> um, I'm talking about some of the other baggage that we bring to this question. And Tanya touched on this really well when she talked about diversity. There's a lot of stuff that we're all carrying around in our lives, okay? We've got the uh, culture We've got our upbringing, we've got our life experiences, our worldview. There are a whole lot of things that inform um, how we see the information we get from within ourselves and from others and help us validate whether it's true. And Tanya talked really eloquently about how that can make it difficult for us to see and understand other people. I'm going to suggest that these things make it difficult for us to see and understand and interpret what we're hearing about ourselves, even if it's coming from inside of us, even if it's coming from the people that have spent their lives in spiritual pursuits trying to figure out how to teach us and help us find out who we are, they have these lenses uh, with how they look at the world also. Now, I have taken one single course in undergraduate sociology, and I've listened to Crash Course Sociology on YouTube, so I feel fully qualified to tell you that <laughs> <laughs> these things that, that feel like they're true, um, Stephen Colbert would call them truthy, or they have truthiness, um, uh, one word we can use to describe them is social norm. It's a social norm. A social norm is something that 
feels pretty true, even though it may not be fundamentally true. It may not be like Ten Commandments, thou shalt, true. And I'm, I'm going to give you a couple of examples here. Now, I'm not saying that social norms are altogether bad. Some of them are awesome, okay? Some of them are, give us needed safety and structure in our society and in our lives. For instance, when I was my kid's age, it was not a social norm for people to wear bike helmets, even kids. I'm not even sure if I know where I would have bought one when I was 10 or 15, okay? Whoop. Nothing. Let's go forward. That bike helmet belongs to my friend John. That is what it looked like after he hit a car earlier this week. His head is fine. He is fine. His ankle is broken. The car windshield is not fine. Okay. He was wearing a bike helmet because nowadays it is pretty much a, a commonly accepted social norm for kids to wear bike helmets, although certainly not all of them, and for many adults to wear them too. I like social norms, some of them. Um, I don't like all of them uh, because some of them don't really serve a purpose um, that is helpful or rational or necessary. Um, some of them create social order, but they create it in a way that's unjust or unfair. Um, some of them create social order that uh, funnels resources and, and money and stuff to people who already have it and keep it away from just as deserving people who don't. And the thing is that they're so ingrained in, in the way we live our lives that we often don't even see that it's happening. We don't see that it doesn't make sense. We don't see that it's unfair and changeable. We just see it as the way it is. Okay? And I'm going to use a really lighthearted example here. You're all going to be able to figure out that what I'm talking about is not a fundamental truth. So no worries. Here we go. Here's a couple of social norms that we all have. Okay? One is that men don't wear skirts and dresses. Are any of you? No? No? Good? <laughs> okay, and on the balance, women's clothing is more ornamented than men's. I think, I think we might have nailed that one. Okay? We know these aren't fundamentally true. We can all think of exceptions. Men wear kilts. Okay? Um, there are plenty of places where men's clothing looks dress-like. Um, there's plenty of men's outfits that are very ornate. But no one is going to feel free and completely comfortable to show up here in a way that violates those things that feel true. Okay? So even though Jameson, for instance, is a total rock star about not caring about what he's supposed to be wearing, um, he is not going to come here looking like two-year-old Franklin D. Roosevelt. <laughs> wearing what was considered appropriate for all children under seven in North America at the time. A white dress. How are you feeling about that? Okay, I mean, he's got the ornate version because he was pretty well off. All right, and James and John next Sunday when they're here, they are not going to show up. Whoops, I went backwards. It goes backwards for me, looking like Louis XIV and his younger brother. Brother, 
All right, not going to happen. And look, the Tam family is always stylish and well put together, very fashion forward. They're on it, all right, but they're not going to show up looking like. Ooh, here we go. Sir Thomas and Lady Lucy with seven of their 13 children. I like the high heels. His high heels are awesome. Um, He's got stockings instead of pants. Um, Chloe and Trevor, you're probably figuring out which of these young people you might be asked to emulate. Should we go this route? Um, Okay, the boys are the ones in the sort of coat tops and skirts, so that's the two in front and the gentleman on his mother's arm on the side there. The young ladies are standing in the middle. How are we feeling about this? (laughs) Are we a little uncomfortable? Maybe? <laughs> okay, no, you're good? <laughs> awesome. All right, so clearly clearly, we have some social norms around clothing because these are not consistent over time and space. Um, so what is fundamentally true about clothes? Well, luckily, we're Christians. We have the Holy Spirit, and we have our reference book. We have the Bible. Now, sadly, there is no crash course theology. Um, There are a few Crash Course Christian History in the World History segment. I don't have any courses in theology. Um, That's Trevor's job, not mine. Uh, I do have two degrees in engineering, so I have lots of practice finding good information on stuff I know nothing about. This is what my degrees taught me to do. So I did what everybody in that situation does. I Google it. I Googled it. There are lots of Bible verses about clothing. Um, Lots of robes, lots of tunics, lots of sandals. And then there's the classic Deuteronomy 22.5, which suggests that men should probably not dress like women and women should probably not dress like men. This is where I got stuck. Quite stuck, because in all the descriptions of robes and tunics and sandals, um, I couldn't figure out how one would go about doing that. I couldn't figure it out. So I did what every good researcher who's got stuck does, and I went to Wikipedia. (laughs) Kids, don't do this for your research project. Or rather, go to Wikipedia first, scroll down to the really solid references at the bottom. If you can't find a good reference in a Google search, look at the reference list in Wikipedia, but do not use it as the only source for your report. Trust me on this one. Okay, but I stopped at Wikipedia because I was, I was heartened to learn that the writers of Wikipedia ran into precisely the same problem I did. While a woman's garments mostly corresponded to those of men, uh, et cetera, et cetera, they also evidently differed in some ways. See Daughter of Deuteronomy 22.5. It's like, well, it says they should be different, but I'm stuck, and so am I. Now, the whole issue of how we interpret Old Testament rules in, in, uh, in, you know, after Jesus is, is a thorny one. I'm not going to get into it. All I'm saying is that there isn't a clear truth here that I can find. There isn't a fundamental truth about who should be wearing what. I couldn't find one. Maybe you can. I'm also interested in what the next <coughs> sentence says. It has this nifty word in it. It says, women's garments were probably longer, a couple of verses, had sleeves, one verse, presumably were brighter colors and more ornamented. Presumably. Why is the writer presuming? Um, there's two references there, one and five. They were both encyclopedias, 
on Hebrew or religious um, things from the uh, 1900s, 1901 and 1905. So their references here were two documents um, where it also would have been a social norm to presume that women's clothes were more colorful and oriented, ornamented than men's. Um, this suggests to me that they don't know either. So perhaps that's a social norm and not a fundamental truth. I don't know. Like, I'm not trying to give you an answer here. What I'm saying is I don't know. Um, either from a Christian biblical perspective or from a social perspective, I cannot figure out what is right. Now, I said I'd talk about identity. I said I'd talk about that, um, but all I've been talking about so far is clothes. <laughs> um, and clothes are not fundamental to our identity. We do use them to show something about ourselves to people, um, but they're not really who we are. So why the heck have I spent all this time on it? Well, there's, there's two reasons for that. Um, one is that if I'm going to come up here and I'm going to start asking you to poke at some core beliefs about who you are and who you should be, I really don't want to do it on a topic that's really personal because that's uncomfortable. So I picked clothes, okay, because they're very external. They're, they're uh, to many of us, decorative. To some of us, they're super important. Um, the other is because clothes are gendered. And there's lots of ways that we have to be super careful about applying our social norms to figuring out how the worlds work. Gender isn't the only one. There's, there's tons of stuff. Ability, you know, ethnicity and race, size, weight, heritage, tons of it. Um, I pick gender for a couple reasons. Um, a, it's, it's obvious for me because I'm a woman. I'm a woman in a world where our sort of social norm baseline model car is male. You know, I've got the uh, female option package <laughs> on the human, as it were. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, and so that informs how I exist in the world and how I interpret it. Um, I picked it because I have two daughters. And so the same issues informs how they have to navigate the world. Um, I picked it because I have two nephews. And even though they are in some ways closer to the baseline, our social norms do put constraints on them um, in ways that I find frustrating and sometimes sad. Um, right now, there are things that they love because the cousins that they love love them, right? At some point, um, it will be socially problematic for them to love some of the things they've introdu been introduced to by their cousins because we think those are girl things. And that makes me sad. I don't think that's necessarily right or true. So that's why it's important to me. Um, and it's also important to me because we as a church and congregation right now are dealing with some changes to the Canadian National Pension Statement of Faith that suggest that there are some fundamental truths that we can understand biblically as to what role um, women and men should be taking in the family and in the church. And I'm just a little bit concerned that sometimes the people who are trying to grapple with, even those people who are faithfully and lovingly trying to interpret scripture through the influence of the Holy Spirit, 
are not always poking at it to make sure they're seeing it um, for the true truth and not through a lens of some of this social norm baggage that they're bringing with them. Um, so, let's see, what have we got in the next slide here? Oh, right, that was so that I could talk without having that Wikipedia verse showing for the whole time, but I guess I talked anyway, so we can go to the next one. <laughs> On the right. Oh, it worked. All right, so I'm going to talk about some social norms around gender. Um, and uh, I, I want to be clear here. I'm not saying there aren't actual real differences um, between genders. On the balance, but not exclusively, most men have a Y chromosome. Not everyone who looks male does. That's a whole other topic. I do not have time for it. Okay? On the balance, most, men, most women have two X chromosomes. Not everyone. Again, I only got so much time here. Um, on the balance, most men are slightly taller than most women. On average, some women are taller than some men. Me and my daughters are taller than some of you. <laughs> on the balance, most men are slightly stronger than most women, but my daughters, not me, are stronger than some of you. I don't know who, but I know it's true. <laughs> the strong woman we saw at the PE who rolled the frying pan into a burrito is stronger than all of you. <laughs> yeah, anyway. So there are some differences. Um, the problem is that we can't figure out, our best scientists, our best sociologists can't figure out which ones are absolutely inherent and fundamental and which ones are a self-fulfilling prophecy because we believe and teach people things like women like to get together and talk and men like to get together and do things. Oops, did I mix up those pictures? <laughs> <laughs> I did mix up those pictures <laughs> um, because we believe that um, girls are nurturing and boys are competitive. I mixed that up again. <laughs> um, because it is our social belief that men are logical and considered and unflappable decision makers and women are emotional and capricious. <gasps> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Let's look at kids playing basketball. <laughs> I didn't want to do that to you, but I couldn't help it. <laughs> um, how much of this is fundamentally true? How much of it is that we raise people up to be what we expect them to be? We don't know. And, and we actually have a lot of trouble, if you read the literature, scientists and sociologists have a lot of trouble figuring out how to design studies and interpret the results to eliminate their own social norms and biases. It's really hard. Um, so it's like I'm not saying that these things don't exist. I'm saying we need to be a bit careful about trusting um, everything we hear about it. Um, I'll pick that up again in a minute. I have, for a variety of reasons, spent about eight years watching, and believe it or not, it's funny, but it's true, helping to coach basketball. Um, 
the Steve Nash YMCA League that my kids have played in uh, plays mostly co-ed from grades two to five. Um, this is before some of those actual real differences in size and speed and weight start kicking in and make it not impossible, but, but more difficult for some. Okay? And uh, there are differences that I have seen in the boys and girls that show up at the lowest levels of basketball. Here are some of them, okay? On the balance, the boys come to the practices with better developed um, ball handling skills. They come to the practices um, already knowing some game mechanics. Um, they tend to be slightly more aggressive and slightly more competitive. Uh, the girls on the balance are better listeners. They learn faster and, and they, they follow directions better. Are these things innate or are they learned? I don't know. I'll tell you what I think from, you know, an eight-year um, unstructured, poorly designed sociological study. I'll tell you what I know. <laughs> what I think I know. Um, I think a lot of those boys have been handed a ball since before they can grab anything at all. And that people have been playing sports with them since as soon as they could crawl or walk. I think they've been watching sports so they understand how they work. They've had more opportunity to understand how the game works and build motor skills on the balance. Not all of them. My kids were a bit of an exception here. Um, <laughs> I might be biased, but I don't think that's true. I think a lot of kids, a lot like when you go up to a little boy or girl um, and you're trying to make conversation and you're stuck, you'll probably say, hey, buddy, what sport do you play? And you'll probably say, hey, honey, you look nice. Do you take dance lessons? And I'm not saying that we do this because we're horrible people. I'm saying that we do this because it's what feels true and natural, right? And so I think that the boys show up at practice thinking that they're supposed to play sports and they will be good at this. And, and the girls show up wondering, do I like this? You know, and so they're already in a mind frame where they're going to listen and learn. They're, they're trying to figure out if it's for them. Um, I think there are some, probably some real differences in aggression and competitiveness um, because uh, we do have pretty solid research that young boys have higher testosterone levels than girls, and there is a correlation there, as best as I understand. Not that I'm a biologist or anything, because I'm not. Um, I would say that, um, that, that some of the lack of aggression in the girls and some of the boys is because if you aren't watching sports a lot, they really don't make sense to a young kid because they are completely the antithesis of everything else they've been told up to this point because you know what? You can use your grabby hands. <laughs> and you don't have to share it. <laughs> Mind blown. Okay. <laughs> this is not what I've been told for the last five years. <laughs> and so some of them, it takes a long time to get over this. <laughs> All right. Um, 
you know, girls are typically rewarded for displaying girl behaviors, which includes sitting nice and participating, and so they, they might have a better leg up on um, sitting and learning, which we see. And so you can see that on the balance, once they actually get together and have spent some time together, um, they're fine. Right? They, they've all got it. They have different interests. They bring different things. The differences persist, but are they wholly biological or are they sociological? I'm skewed towards sociological personally. I'm not going to tell you what to think. Um, what about the Bible? What does it say? Well, I'm, I'm not going to delve into the deep and confusing and difficult rules of the Old Testament. Um, I'm going to tell you what I find in the New Testament, in, you know, my complete uh, expertise, having no theological training other than coming here for a long time and listening to good people say good things. Um, let's see. Oh, I put this down. I see a lot of stories uh, that tell us um, about people doing what they do. And I don't see a lot of emphasis in the New Testament on um, who is cooking breakfast that's Jesus, by the way. Or who is financing the operation, uh, like the, uh, the generous woman. Um, or for that matter, who is uh, leading spiritually in the family. That's Timothy and his mother and grandmother who are called out specifically for that. Um, I don't see a lot of time spent in texts that tell people um, who should be doing what. What I see is a lot of texts that tell us how we should be doing what we do. With love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control for brothers and sisters. I see that we are told that under Jesus, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. This time said in a time when it was a cultural norm to make people your slaves. Um, and to value people differently according to, you know, what option package they happen to land with. That's what I see. Now, I will concede that there are verses in the New Testament that suggest um, that having the female option package somehow makes it more difficult for God to speak directly to me through the Holy Spirit that is in my heart. There are some verses that suggest that my relationship status, or my position on a church org chart necessitates that I need to listen more to someone in my family with a different option package, or someone in my church who's allowed to have a certain job that I may not be allowed to. Um, there are verses in the Bible that can be interpreted in a way that suggests that these four gentlemen on the right side are the appropriate speakers for a fall lecture series on the Christian women happening this year in Tennessee. <laughs> 
Um, I'm particularly interested in, oh, how that guy's going to talk about as a loving mother. <laughs> or a faithful wife. <laughs> now, look, I'm not saying, I'm going to go back to the kids playing basketball so we don't have to look at that anymore. Yay! <laughs> I'm not saying that God, the maker of the universe, all-powerful, all-knowing, can't tell Trevor something that I will find edifying and useful about how to be a good mother. God can do that. No question. He's God. I'm just saying that I don't think that, that, that my option patches prevent sort of a defense penalty, or rather a defense bonus, um, to his ability to tell me. You know, like it, it bounces off of me somehow, and it has to go to someone else. I, I just I don't buy that. I can't. That's me. That's how I see it. And, and, and part of the reason I see that is because I've tried really hard, um, and not just because I have a vested interest and a bias in it, which I do, um, to try and figure out um, what, what I might believe that isn't true because it's just how I was raised or just something that I experienced. Now, I'm probably going over time, um, but for instance... Here's something that some of you will relate to and others you won't. Who's seen Star Wars? All right, most of you had. Good, this will land. All right. (laughs) When I saw Star Wars for the very first time, because I'm old enough to have seen it in theaters in either the first or second release, I did not notice, honest to goodness, did not notice that all the TIE fighter pilots were men. Didn't even clue in. And, and, and to be honest, um, there's that general lady giving the instructions about the fight. I had no idea who she was. I didn't automatically think general. I thought lady giving instructions, okay? Because even though I'm a woman and, and, and a one that, that is pretty keen on making sure that women can do everything that they want to do, I grew up in this culture, and at five or seven or whatever years old, it, it didn't even occur to me. I didn't see it. I didn't see it. I just didn't. When I watched it again in uh, university, I, I think I caught the TIE fighter thing. When I watched it on with my kids, it bothered the heck out of me. Because um, I had come to see how some of the things that I had thought were true when I was seven year old and planning um, uh, you know, thinking about how I would obviously not be working and all of this stuff that I thought that was normal to me at that time um, hadn't changed. So all I'm saying is that, yeah, we do already know how to figure out who we are. It's to listen to the Holy Spirit. But on top of that, I, I would suggest that we also have to ask the Holy Spirit very humbly to show us what we might be missing and to try and help us see what is really true and what is just what feels true and to do that not just for other people but for ourselves. And that's all I have to say. <laughs> Thanks, Kristen. I such an important topic. It's not just 
gender, I mean, I know you focused on gender, but our identity can be so tied up with who other people tell us we are. Even as little kids, when you went to school, were you the troublemaker or were you the smart kid? Because what happens is then that sometimes we, get, we, we fulfill that, even if that isn't us. And sometimes our identity is found in what we do, our jobs. I'm a pastor. Is that my identity? Alan's an accountant. Is that his identity? I hope not. <laughs> Maybe when, when we get married, our identity changes. We become a husband and wife. We have responsibilities, of course, but is that our identity? What about if we become parents? Is Laupi now just a father? Is that his identity? Or are we male or female? Is that our identity? And so it's such an important topic because we get our identity from what other people tell us we are, who we are. Sometimes we get it from ourselves of who we think we should be. And it's so important, Chris, and I'm so glad that you highlighted this for us. That's not important. In fact, that's secondary. Because our primary identity, as Kristen mentioned, was we are in Christ. In Christ. There's a book in the New Testament, Ephesians, which talks about this 30 times. It says you are in Christ. And then it tells you what it's like to be in Christ. You are adopted in Christ. You are blessed in Christ. You are forgiven in Christ. You are a child of God. First and foremost. Whether you're male, female, accountant, pastor, mum, dad, son, daughter, secondary, primarily, you are a child of God. That is our identity. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you that you created us your child, first and foremost. Thank you, Lord, that we, we no longer have to accept identities given to us by other people. We no longer have to accept identities given to us by the enemy. We no longer have to believe that we are, we're stupid, that we're not strong enough, that we're hopeless, that we're a failure. That no longer is our identity because we are in Christ, in Jesus Christ. Jesus restores our identity. Jesus restores our life as it should be and how you created us to live. So, Lord, I want to thank you for Kristen. I thank you for her heart. I thank you for her passion, Lord. And I ask that you would help her as uh, she... Uh, nurtures her children to be who they are meant to be. Lord, would you give her wisdom? Would you give her your Holy Spirit to help her in that process? And Father, I want to thank you for each one of us here. Thank you that we're created uh, for a reason and a purpose. 
Help us to understand what that is. In Jesus' name.